Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is uh, kind of under the weather, Chris O'Toole. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do my best here, but I, I don't foresee it being an issue. Well, it's it's a rigorous thing sometimes, the way we have to tackle this internet stuff. So if you start <laughs> feeling a little motion sickness or whatever, you let me know, buddy. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm stationary, so that works. Okay, good. Well, I meant like you know the heady excitement of turned out a punk. Fans, <laughs> too much. Well, hopefully it'll it'll uh, whatever it'll lift my spirits and I won't I won't feel it so to speak. So yeah, either way I'm good. Awesome. Well, let it, uh, I guess uh, you went on a little bit of a trip, Chris. You had a good time. I did. I needed a little uh, recharge, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very nice. It was in the south a bit, so weather much different to where we are. Uh, largely, although it's still warm here, I should say, but you know, yeah, it was just nice. Saw the ocean. Always, always enjoy that. And just, yeah, I took it easy. I needed a little break. So, and you, were you off somewhere again? Uh, I was in Montreal. Okay. I saw you posted some photo, I think, right? Of you in transit, I thought. I don't know. Yeah, I was in Montreal. We played a show in, in, in Montreal and then I came back. Uh, uh we actually, uh, I can't say what we did, but we did something kind of cool. I have to tell you about it off here. Remind me to tell you about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but we also did another thing that was kind of cool. That was definitely cool. We played a show with Tanya Tagak and uh, Mike and Jonah did a collaborative song with her. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a fun trip. Definitely, you know, got, got to go to Smoke Meat Pete's, which is <laughs> amazing every time you get to do that, anytime you get to do that. Um, <laughs> and uh, got got to see some family. And uh, got a incredible podcast recorded that I will. Uh, you know about Chris now. I told you off air. Yeah, but, yeah. But uh, everyone else will hear about that soon. Um, yes. If you're a fan of the show, I think you'll be a fan of this one. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then I came back, and friend of the show, MVP, was in <laughs> Toronto to hang out. Nice. So got to hang out with MVP, got to talk some music stuff and, and punk stuff. And, you know, of course, I punished him about wrestling, as, <laughs> I, as I'm apt to do. And I found out something that blew my fucking mind, recorded a podcast about it with him. Um, and then I – it was erased, Chris. <laughs> well, you know, oh, God. it happens. Oh, it God. Happens. Uh, but anyway, there's plans to re-record that, so hopefully that is not lost forever. But so that was, you know, a, a weeks of ups and downs for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, we're, well, we're back now. We're back now, back with a bang as a band we shall not mention. Once famously said, <laughs> Jeez. not touching that one. Go on. No one is touching that one. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's dive into today's episode. Uh, we have an incredible episode. That, you know, this is the last one. The countdown to 100 uh, is almost over. And I decided to finish with a bang. And that was by having Lance Bangs, the great lost episode from the very first run that I did, finally see the light of day. Yeah, it was. I mean, I really enjoyed it. We had someone write in who we'll get to who also said the same thing. But I'm really happy you didn't uh, didn't have this one on the cutting room floor. So that was really good. Thanks. Well, I, I appreciate that, Chris. I think you're being a little nice because <laughs> it was a little rough. I was a little strung up on, strung out, strung up on caffeine. <laughs> yeah. But I don't, uh, I think you're obviously, you know, everyone is their own worst critic, so to speak. But 
Um, I didn't really hear as much of what you disclaimed in the intro as, as what you're, what you're putting on. So I think you did, did a good job. Well, I, it was the night after I had to do the re-record of the infamous Steve McDonald episode. <laughs> so I had stayed up all night with Steve McDonald. Wow. And, and decided that the best way to compensate for that was by drinking a shit ton of coffee, something that I never do really. <laughs> yeah. I've, I don't think I've ever seen you drink coffee. No, I was flying, Chris. <laughs> I was flying. I was like, oh my god! I was like John Belushi and Wired. <laughs> so you did this? What was it? When you were out west? Uh, this was no. This was in New York. Oh, it was okay. the weekend that I went to New York for Vice Twenty when Vice put on that crazy party, and I got to do a duet with John Joseph on stage. <laughs> yeah, I recall this. Yeah, weird. Yeah, go back and listen to the Steve McDonald episode if you'd like to hear a breakdown of all this sort of stuff because it's in that one. I think it's in the week after too. I talk a little bit about it, but uh, so basically, I was in New York for this Vice party and decided to record a bunch of podcasts. And there's like, you know, that you know that the New York sessions, as I like to call them, around <laughs> HQ are some of my favorite ones. But that's like I did Tom Sharpling. Uh, I think it was Andy. No, that wasn't Andy Capper. That was later. I did one with Andy Capper. Uh, but it was Tom Sharpling. It was, uh, Steve McDonald twice because <laughs> I screwed up and we had to re-record it. And then it was this Lance Bangs one. And this Lance Bangs one, I just kind of had to shelf because I thought it was a little, and also we can't gloss over the fact that, uh, I had a giant memory hole. Yeah, I think that one, that I understand you being a little self-conscious about, but everything else, I didn't really hear what you were saying. I didn't think you interrupted much or anything like that, and that was fine. I think I tried to finish every single thought he had in the episode, Chris. <laughs> but I think <laughs> for people that know you, it translates, you're just, um, it's not that you're like, it's, it's not it's not rude. It's like what you're when you do that on occasion, it's very much like you're just so... Uh, Whatever. Excited. Yeah, you're excited in the moment, so it's fine. I, I Anyway, this doesn't <laughs> – I just thought it was good. I, I'm glad it saw the live day. Okay. Well, I'm, I appreciate that, Chris, and so am I. I'm really I'm, – I'm happy that it's out there now because I think it is, um, from Lance's side, an, an amazing episode. And there's a lot of stuff for you and me yeah. to talk about. But, and again, one of these people that I've heard the name of, you know, you, you hear little things like about him and being involved with stuff, but I never – like his um, – recollection is was pretty wild like in terms of like how cognizant he was of, of just all the bands or all the stuff because he's done a ton of stuff as i've learned uh through the through that interview and looking stuff up so yeah it was it was impressive yeah no he definitely has done a, a ton of you know like in, in, incredible work you know and and, and someone who has been involved in a huge array of pop culture movements and and just phenomena. Yeah, agreed. You'd be hard pressed to find someone more involved in all this stuff than him. Um, but we have a uh, overflowing mailbag to get to before we dive too far into this subject. Yeah, we do. We have, uh, but off the top, we got some news too, which I want to start with. Someone oh, sure. It, but uh, it was uh, often talked about on this show. Actually, no means no. Mm-hmm. I've officially called it a day. Yes. And, uh, it's a bummer, but uh, they have a message that was on their Facebook, which we'll just read really quickly here. Greetings, everybody. John from No Means No. With a heavy heart, I must announce the retirement of No Means No. A hiatus became a long hiatus, and a lingering hiatus has become a permanent one. I have 35 years and countless miles and 
couple thousand shows and many more beers, a bunch of tunes, sweaty hordes of great fans. I can't say thanks enough to everyone. I will continue to post here on our page, Facebook one he's talking about, about robots and future projects, as Damien knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, if and when they happen, hoping to have a de- uh, debut compressor head I'll melt by next March, so you have not heard the last things of me yet. Cheers, everyone. Raise a glass. So, yeah, um, but we had a few people write us in about that, and you and I are fans, so I just wanted to make mention. And uh, The Guardian also ran an article about them um, from, let me just see what the actual date is. Last Tuesday, they ran an article about them, about this very thing as well, breaking down some of the albums they recommended. And, uh, yeah, just uh, kind of a bummer. I hope you'll eventually get one of them uh, on the interview format here on your show. So do I. But before we get to that, what a sad state of affairs that we have to have the Guardian write that piece. <laughs> well, I think that uh, that was just one that was sent in. Interestingly, um, I'm sure other people have, but yeah, I just thought it was an interesting. I, I don't know. Like, have uh, had did the CBC do anything on Radio Two about it or anything? Like, I I haven't heard this. Maybe they did. Yeah, but it just that, seems to me like point. You know, like, where there's certainly no, nothing, much music has a complete no means no show from, like, I think it's 84 in the archive, like a three camera shot show. You yeah. Know, that's not going to see the light of day, you know, like. The same know, day, the same day, sorry to interrupt you really quickly. Yeah. CBC did do a, okay. a post about it as well. So okay. no one sent it into us for whatever reason, but. I just yeah. said, I, didn't, I haven't been hearing no means no on the radio is what I should say, you know, or anything like that. But uh, yeah. anyway, that's a separate discussion. And maybe, maybe you shouldn't be hearing No Means No on the radio in 2016. Maybe I'm just <laughs> not even thinking that that should happen. But, uh, but I, I still like they are, you know, undoubtedly a, a band that hasn't had a huge effect worldwide. And I know I think we talked about this on the show way back when, one time when this has come up about how much maybe bigger they are in Europe than they are yeah. in North America at the, in the last few years. Yeah, but it's it's just funny because they're one of those mainstay groups, you know what I mean? And they had a long career, so... Oh my it's gosh, just kind like of, 80, uh, what is that, 79, 81, Wormies? Yeah, well, it says 35 years he writes here, so yeah, it would be a good while. But it's uh, just a cool band, always had a cool vibe, in my opinion, always had interesting records, regardless of how much I was a particular fan of some of the later stuff or not, but... Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, always a fan of that group. So, And, of course, Handsome Brothers as well, um, that project I liked as well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, cool band. But I just wanted to make mention, and we'll post the link to uh, at least one of these articles about that as well. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's uh, unfortunate here. But, you know, maybe everyone's, like, happy with the place to be retiring. Yeah, well, I'm sure they've been doing it long enough. Where it's, it's a, it's a bummer, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, you had a long career. Everyone's happy about it. So the road is hard, Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When are you guys going to reach your 35 years? <laughs> uh, well, this is, I think, our uh, 15th, right? 16th. Oh, I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, 2015th year. Well, wow. 10, 10 years since Hidden World. This is the 10th anniversary of Hidden World this year. Yeah, that's crazy. It makes me feel old. Chris, time. But sand for the hourglass. <laughs> and you're doing the commemorative 10-year shows of that record. Am I correct there? <clears throat> yeah, we're doing, uh, we're doing a brief run of shows in the UK 
around that record. I think we're doing five shows uh, the last week of October. Nice. I'm coming back on the 30th because I had to be back for Halloween, 100%. Um, of course, three three children, yeah. Three kids. We're going to for fucking Halloween. I'm not going to miss that. No. Uh, but yeah, so then we're going to be playing those shows, and that should be, uh, uh, you know, maybe it for a little bit. And then we'll come back and maybe do some more shows like that in North America. Cool. Yeah. Yes. It, would um, you say that that – sorry to go on about fucked up in a bit here, but like – would you say that was the the hallmark moment of your band? The release of that record? Yeah, like that was the sea change that really solidified fucked up as the force they've now become. You've now become? Gosh, I don't know, Chris. I never feel like anything solidified. Uh uh I think that was a moment when we it, <clears throat> when it became well, I know I it was like I remember the moment we became full time was when it became like real as far as being like this is could be my life, yeah. um, and that was we were it was just before Chemistry of Common Life came out, and we're sitting in this terrible French fry smelling vegetable oil powered school bus, <laughs> the fuckheads from Fuck Yeah Fest uh, <laughs> tricked us into using that we had to pay for real gas for the entire time because it never worked once. <laughs> and uh Lauren called me and told me she was pregnant and that was with Holden and that was the first time uh we had decided also that we were going to be a full-time band. Wow. That was a rough tour, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a big I, I don't know. I I remember that weekend where you guys did the uh yeah. the record release for that very fondly. That's why for me that was you hadn't arrived for me at that time, but I feel like you arrived at a broader audience at that record. That was a pretty, yeah. They, well, that you know, that was on Jade Tree, and that was like you know, all respect to Deranged, but at the time, Jade Tree was, you know, it seems weird to say this now, but was bigger than Deranged. It was like a real label, like a big, yeah. ma- major kind of indie label type thing. So we had our records were available in stores. We were on the same label as the Lifetime re- or the Avail reissues. Yeah, and actually, the life, lifetime background reissue just come out too. So yeah, like it, I guess you're right. Like it was the time that we kind of found a broader audience, and or in in the way that you know more people were hearing about us. I guess it was also recording that record felt really different because we're spending a lot of money recording it. We had all these guests come in for it, so cool. Yeah, it's, a, it's a key key moment for me, but definitely it was when I was. Realizing I was becoming a dad and <laughs> becoming a full-time musician. Adult life was kicking in. Oh, yeah. my God. It was like jumping off a cliff with a shoot you hadn't checked. <laughs> to use an analogy I know nothing about. <laughs> nice. Anyway. Uh, uh, okay. So uh, should we talk? You up that one. Anyway, I just I, I wanted to reminisce on Hidden World for a minute since you said that. That's all. No, we're, I, th- th- that was a fun-ass weekend. I'm trying to remember who played the Hidden World weekend, the first one. <laughs> The only well, hmm. was that the one with Righteous J when Righteous Jams couldn't play? So we so Righteous Jams the like original lineup of Righteous Jams played with Jay Scheller singing. I think so. The, the, the only other bands like I'm, all those weekends are a blur, but um, I remember Piss Jeans played as well that year. Um, I'm trying to think what the other groups were, but yeah, that was the Righteous J, I believe. Okay. Yeah, then I'm trying to remember who else played that. Mind Eraser definitely played. Yeah. Pink Eye, I think, maybe played. I don't I think that was the year before. Okay. But either way. 
We're going we're down a rabbit hole. We're here. down a rabbit hole. <laughs> we're we're down a rabbit hole, and we're not even. Uh, we're we're like we're in like some self indulgent rabbit hole, deep. <laughs> uh, so let's dive into the mailbag, I guess. At this point, yes. So the first one I'm going to get to here. It's subject to skate videos from Josh mm-hmm. L. Um, mentions that he likes the podcast and our opinions about music. Uh, but with that said, you guys blew it in talking about skateboarding. Uh, I don't imagine this is the only email you'll get about it either. Uh, Timetables are way off. Skateboarding is not a sport in all capitals. Uh, <laughs> I got a kick out of that reading this. Uh, you guys failed to mention 411 Video Magazine, which came out every few months, introduced tons of music to people. Bands like Hum, The Promise Ring, Texas is the Reason, and dozens more. Uh, Black Label Zero, Anti Hero, Big Brother, Toy Machine, and a bunch of other, sorry, and a bunch more had music you would call punk throughout the whole time period. You guys discredited. I skated since 93 and was a little disappointed. Anyway, I enjoy the stuff you guys do. <laughs> uh, I wanted to uh, highlight this because I don't exactly remember, I have to admit, like, because I don't, I don't remember what episode we were talking about this. But um, all of the things mentioned here, like, I know. So I, I don't recall not acknowledging this. But um, anyway, yeah, Black Label, Zero, Antihero. Big Brother Toy Machine, like, I'm definitely a fan of all those things and was in those years. Um, 411, I never got into. Did you ever know that video magazine thing? My friends would watch it. Yeah. That one I never got into, admittedly. But um, And the bands listed here are not really my bag, to be honest, also. But, um, but yeah, no, like, so if we glossed over any of that stuff, uh, apologies. But uh, at the same time, uh, I didn't think we... I, I thought I gave enough justice to stuff like Toy Machine, especially, which is really old. And, of course, Zero, I have a so-so opinion of. Uh, Black Label is great. Antihero is great. Big Brother is uh, questionable in 2016, but retro- <laughs> retrospectively great. Um, yeah, so I hope we did it enough uh, <laughs> justice. This Maybe he's talking about in the episode. Yeah, I think what it was is we were talking about like the Muska influence and kind of the death of like punk or rock in skating and and sort of how everyone, if I remember, how everything kind of flipped over. I think we maybe, and so yeah, you did have these little, I would consider them smaller pockets, but they certainly were institutions. Like Toy Machine is definitely a a skateboard institution and Black Label in the early 2000s became that, as did Antihero. And Zero, of course, became huge as well because of, uh, what's his name? Anyway, I can't remember his name. Uh, Jamie Thomas, but, uh, um, yeah. So anyway, I don't, uh, uh, skateboarding is not a sport. I agree. Uh, as someone who is a a self-admitted jock, I would agree. And I don't consider it a sport. Although unfortunately though, it is going to be the Olympics (laughs) in 2020 Uh, (laughs) and it was brought in as being a sport by the Olympics. Like I'm not saying I consider a sport, like I don't really have an opinion. I don't really skateboard, but at the same time, certainly some people that skateboard consider it a sport. Yeah, totally. I, but I do like the uh, the idea of the resistance to the idea. Yeah, I love absolutely. that skateboarders hate hate considering it a sport. I think that's a great vibe, and uh, I back that. And as someone, like I said, who's like into actual sport, skateboarders are definitely athletes, no question. But uh, yeah, sport is a different animal. I would agree there. Anyway, I thought it was a great email. I like when people uh, take us to task on things like that. So yeah, absolutely. No, feel free to take us to task. But at the same time, like I think that was my whole point. When I said skateboarding is a sport, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't actually you and I like taking yeah. it to task. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. 
anyway, on to the next email, Flipper Dwarves Tour. My elder age made me lucky enough to see Flipper and the Dwarves in NYC. Apparently happened in 1993, but I had to do some research to verify that. I remember that the band Blind Idiot God opened for them, and I... And they played twice as long as Flipper and the Dwarves combined. <laughs> a classic opener move. Classic. Yeah. But I, what is Blind Idiot God? Now i got to look up this band because I think I have their yeah. records. I know the uh, – I've definitely heard the name, but I don't, I don't believe I ever listened to them at all. Um, okay. Well, but how me... amazing is that? Like you open for Flipper and the Dwarves and you play <laughs> doubly long. This is your moment. You might as well make the most of it. <laughs> Oh. oh, yeah. Blinder to God was on uh, a record on SST. Oh, okay. Wow. They're still going? Guess so. Wow. They must have, uh, their set length probably dictated <laughs> that they would be successful going forward. Chris, is this sound up your alley when it's described on Discogs as being free jazz, hardcore, post-rock, dub, experimental? <laughs> of course. <laughs> All the things I love rolled up into one. Yeah, just everything. <laughs> that's always the best to do. Take everything you like and just put it all together, and it always works out best that way. Anyway, well, John Zorn produced this 12-inch by them, yeah, too. that is actually cool. I'll, I'll give them a point there. But, uh, but yeah, that, I like that this... <laughs> but anyway. So the SST, this, he's saying this is the 90s, though. This is when they would have been... Af- way after that. Yeah, way after SST period. You're right. Yeah. Um, uh, I recently saw Flipper at Maxwell's in Hoboken, New Jersey. They played all the hits and maybe one song off the Deaf American record. Uh, when they played NYC, however, there was a totally different vibe. They were so negative about being in New York. They only played Sacrifice, which bummed out a lot of people out. However, to me, it was great. By the time in my uh, by that time in my life, I was deep with Flipper, and to see them jam on that song for twenty minutes was awesome. Dwarves were good too. Nobody bought me pizza that night. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing them do Sacrifice, wow! Sadly, the replacement bass player for Will Shatner died shortly after that from the same illness. Yeah. Um, but that is oh, is this Sorry. all the same email? Yeah, so John here, he also sent us, related to another thing we talked about in the, uh, I think the last episode, mm-hmm. the Sex Pistols playing in front of the, the kids on Christmas or what have you. There's actually a, a separate YouTube link to, um, uh, what is it, a BBC documentary thing that they filmed about that, which we will also link on the Facebook page. Like, that's how cool British media is, you know? Like, they've got like a documentary about one Sex Pistols show. Yeah, it's actually called Nevermind the Babbles, B-A-U-B-L-E-S, X-Mas 77 with the Sex Pistols. And it's a mini little coverage of that whole thing. And they were children of uh, minors during the minor strike. Is that like a contemporary doc or what is it? I'm trying to load it here. It, it seems like it was – well, it was definitely done – well, won't load for me to be honest. Yeah, but it's it, not, it's not, not opening here. for me yet either. I'm guessing it was probably around the time of – if I had to guess, but we will link it so you can see it on the site and whatever and uh, go from there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much again, John B., for sending that email in. Uh, next email. Yes, is the uh, – I got <laughs> got started watching this. I need to pause it for a sec. It looks like it's older, by the way, this. Um, oh, it does look like it's older? Well, there there goes my great British media thing. Here I thought they were doing a retrospective documentary. Oh, they might. I don't know. Like It, def- it had a little intro with John Lydon that looked – contemporary but the actual coverage which they clicked to after yeah, well, the coverage definitely would be yeah um anyway the next uh, message we got here regarding the charter street gang 
Uh, I flipped out while listening to the Allison Baker episode. As she mentioned, the Chargers Street Gang hadn't thought about them in almost 15 years. I caught them once in the late 90s, early 2000s. They were awesome. Heard their LP a few years later. Uh, a friend found it in a bargain bin. Record is all right, but nowhere near as good as their live show. It made me think about the tragic that tragic type of band, great live but bland on record. I thought it might make for a good footnote topic. Oof, Another yeah. news, yeah, it is a good one. Another news, the strike was from Chicago. We talked about this before. There's a band, the strike, not to be confused with the British band. Um, but uh, it was from Chicago as well as Minneapolis and was another band who were way better live than on record. And that's from mm-hmm. Michael C. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, that's like a, that's like a, an interesting point because like I think – like I'm trying to think of like ones off the top of my head, but there's a ton. You know, where you'll see a band and you're like, this was so much better live than it could ever be on record. Like, uh, you know, like I've, I've heard people make the argument for a, a lot of hardcore is way better live than on record. I would agree with that. I think, I think nowadays people seem to be get, getting recordings right a lot more, but mm. I think that was a big problem for a lot of bands for a while. Like to, to really kind of, Especially the sort of the whatever the first wave of American hardcore, although those recordings are all amazing. But there's definitely bands in there that their records probably weren't as good as they were live. Yeah, like you'll hear about this all the time from different people. But normally, it's also I find if the record's really good, they'll be like, "Oh, they were even better live." Yeah, yeah, it's a great topic. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but that's definitely a, that's that's a, a definite topic for the show. If you can think of any, feel free to hit us up here. The Mad would be amazing to have seen live. Oh yes, agreed. Although those, I love that recording. The recordings are amazing, but then live yeah. you hear about what he did on stage with, yeah. you know, being a special effects wizard, doing like all these weird effects to himself on stage. Whoosh! That'd be a fun show. Yeah. In in on the back of that, the next message here uh, from Dave Martin, regular contributor, our pal. Um, he just mentions the record on Get Hip was so so, which is funny because this person above, also Michael, uh, had said basically the same thing. Uh, I don't know what he's talking about here. Caton is a must-have. I don't know. What oh, that he's is. talking about Caton from Hyrax. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Um, okay. So he's talking about another point from. Oh, I want to have him on so badly. I had no yeah. idea that he owned junk records. Yeah, and he talks about probably some crucial plus side stories. I can't think of many other that have been so involved in a lot of things, but especially crossover aspect of punk and hardcore. So yeah, I just thought it because it related to Chargers, I thought it was all related to that. But uh, the second half was another point. But either way, well, thanks, if, Dave, as per usual. Yeah, if you're a friend of his, please get him in touch with us or get us in touch with him, and then we can make that happen. Hopefully, because that would be an amazing, yeah, it'd be an incredible episode. Totally. Whoosh. Whoosh. Uh, the uh, next one is from Stuart M who sends in a link and it's called not dead yet. And it says, I watched the docs you guys were talking about on footnotes a few months ago. The link is still active. So we will post that link on the Tumblr and the Facebook page. So you guys can check it out. Once again, those are, uh, turned out of punk.tumblr.com and facebook.com slash turned out of punk. Is it? I don't even know to be honest. Go on Facebook and just search it. It'll come up. Yeah, you got it. But um, that one, I'm really happy someone sent this in because I had never seen this. And I still, I plan to watch it later. Um, But yeah, it's from 83. So it's on YouTube. Fantastic. That's the one of the lovely things about the internet is that we get to uh, unearth these gems. Yeah, no longer do you have to, uh, you know, put the effort in a tape trade. Yes. Yeah, you can click on that link and watch it in the comfort of your own home. 
Totally. Uh, next email here is first epic punk song is the subject from Chris D. Um, he's asking if there's a cutoff point of what it considers to be epic. It's no 17 minutes, but Johnny was on inflammable material. Clocks in at eight minutes, uh, in at over eight minutes, pardon me. And that was in 79, I think. Of course, he's speaking of Stiff Little Fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, your thoughts, Damien? Well, I don't know. I think that uh, I would say, like, for Stiff Little Fingers, that's an epic song, certainly. Yeah. Um, but I think for us, like, we're trying to find the one that was, like, crossed that 17-minute threshold, the first one. Yeah. I think, like, Johnny Was is a little less um, – great song, great record, uh, great band. But the uh, the song is very – when I'm thinking of, like, epic tunes, I'm thinking of ones that are a bit more left field as well. And so that one to me is a bit more whatever – the structure of it is very traditional, even though it's eight minutes or whatever. So I don't, I wouldn't throw it in the epic category. However, I like the idea though of like what constitutes that epic, you know, tag, and this could theoretically apply. I like that idea, but I'm not sure I would go there with it. Yeah, I'm just it, it maybe think like, what's the longest Amoebic song? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. One of the early, like, anyway. <laughs> No one needs to hear me look up this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on to the next point. Uh, next point is 80 bands that stayed hardcore and good by Mike K. I was thinking about it today. And do you guys know of any 80s hardcore bands that both didn't break up early on and stuck to general style hardcore punk and continued to put out quality releases for a while? I was thinking about the departure records that you had discussed a while back and how most hardcore bands either broke up after a few years, negative approach, minor threat, went on to become more mar- melodic, palatable direction, seven seconds, who's or went for a metallic sound, COC discharge. The only band that came to mind is Poison Idea, who in my mind uh, never put out a clunker. Does that make them the true kings of punk? <laughs> I agree. They are. I agree. They're totally. the first band I thought of. But I'm now trying to think of bands that, like low key bands. Like who was the uh, out cold of the <laughs> 80s? Well, I, that's definitely another band I think of. Um, but I think this is an important. You know, I like the way this Mike framed it here too. It, it's it's very well stated. I think because mm-hmm. even discharge. Like has, oh, they, they they departed. Yeah, they have that period where I I'm not a fan. So, um, COC less so oddly enough because I I actually don't mind late COC, but I do. Yeah, but they the changed. I, I like what yeah. Mike's saying here yeah. definitely holds up because like they they yeah. did change their sound. Spot on. Um, maybe the I would say the Melvins, but they definitely changed sonically from what they were very early on when they were like kind of like a straight up hardcore band. But that's kind of the hallmark of their whole thing is constantly changing yeah i'm trying to think of like because poison idea is always the one and that's bang on i completely agree with that um trying to think of poison idea like bands that never had a departure record and never really broke up stuff like that that's a tough one gauze yeah oh japanese bands would probably be this category i would just i would even think though you know like gizem kind of it's the records get weirder yeah um, so, not bad though. Yeah, no, not bad, not bad at all. But Gaza, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I'm trying to think of. There's going to be ones that are glaringly obvious that we're missing here. But um, anyway, I like the like this email. It's framed great. It's exactly the kind of thing we like to discuss. So, again, if anyone can think of 
examples of this that are maybe we're failing to acknowledge right now, feel free. Um, but yeah, because he, it's funny because he mentions that the breakup thing is the difficult part. Cause you could say that there were bands that had a perfect run, but they did break up early. So negative approach, mm-hmm. even though they've reformed, but mm-hmm. that original run is, is flawless. Mm-hmm. Minor threat as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm at a loss here. I feel bad that I'm, nothing's coming to mind, but. Um, no, I think I think that I, I don't know. Like most bands change, right? Like or go for a different sound. Like there's there's very few that have that singular focus. Yeah, true. In what they're doing, other than you know, Gauze and Poison Idea, and even Poison Idea. Like if you compare the first seven inch to you know Pajama Party. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's there's a change. Yeah, but I think what he, this person frames very well is that it's still tasteful to their lineage. Yeah, you're so right. You're it doesn't right. doesn't depart. Like Discharge has the obvious jump off point. So does COC, and Seven Seconds again. Th- those are like jump off points. Who's going to do? I don't know if I would say that they really. I mean, they were it always kind popular. of popular. Yeah, it got popular though. I could see yeah. where Mike's coming from on that because, like, but I would actually say that they would be. They were always true to their melody. Yeah, agreed. Either way, cool email. Uh, we'll think more on this. And again, if you have any suggestions, write us in. Uh, next one, is this you or me? Me, I think, right? You. Yeah. All right. It's about the Lance Bangs episode. Uh person is congratulating you on the episode being great, as I did earlier. Um, you knew him mostly from Jackass as the puking cameraman, which uh, admittedly that's the only kind of thing I knew him as uh, mostly as well. Uh, <laughs> definitely going to look into his other work now. He really has a super unique and diverse story with the leaving home so early, getting hooked, on, hooked up with such a diverse group of vans over his career. Do you have any suggestion on his work that either of you have seen that would suggest – as starting points, I found the Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam commentary very amusing. Have either of you crossed paths with members of either of these bands over time? And what was your experience? To me, I listened to both over time, but as I got exposed to other music, found both bands to be overproduced and honestly very much overrated. I still get in debates with friends today when I bring up the same subject. Uh, Damien, I have not met uh, members of either of those bands. Have you? I have... Uh... I had an epically amazing encounter with Billy Corgan in line for immigration and leaving <laughs> Australia. And I told him I enjoyed what he was doing in wrestling at the time. <laughs> uh, of course. And that was the only thing I said to him. And he said, thank you very much. And that was my the extent of my conversation. I love the idea, though, that you met him. And of all the things you spoke to him about, you talked about wrestling. <laughs> Well, do you tell me this? Is there like any, like, did he play in a punk hardcore band that I'm unaware of? Was there something else I should have brought up? No, probably not. But I just find it funny. It's like, it's almost in and of itself like a backhanded compliment because you're not acknowledging what his primary, you know, means of being like uh, a known person (laughs) is. So I just, I find that amusing. Um, Those two bands, I'm with him on Lance Bangs. I don't know what Lance Bangs, you have, I don't know, recommendations? I don't know. Uh, He did like, like he did like so many great kind of comedy documentaries, live specials, the the Chelsea Peretti one, I think's amazing. There's a lot of funny stuff that goes on in the crowd in that one. He directs a lot of stuff like that. Uh the music stuff he did, he did uh one on pavement, uh that's worth checking out, definitely. That's it's good. Um he did that Nirvana, uh when the lights out with the lights out thing that came out with a box set. I've not seen that one, yeah. 
there's... The one that I really liked that he did, and I wasn't aware until I looked it up when looking up his stuff here, was the uh, he did that one David Cross live comedy thing. The Let America Laugh one? Yeah. That is great. hilarious, that one. Yeah, so he does a lot of – any of the comedy stuff, if you're a fan of comedy, all of these – I don't think I've seen them all. I haven't seen the Pretty one, but like Kyle Kinane, Jen Kirkman, Todd Berry, all great. He did the Mark Maron one, which I didn't realize either. John Hodgman, all those people are excellent. Um, it's pretty much like a no, you can't really go wrong. It, he does a lot of, it's, there's nothing that I see here that I, I'm not at least mildly interested in. So I would say just go for it. Dive in wherever. And he was in Run, Ronnie, Run. <laughs> yeah, which I also didn't know either. He had, he had a cameo too, which I didn't realize. It shows here in, um, uh, which I'm going to call it, uh, being John Malkovich, which is the Spike Jones connection there, I would mm-hmm. imagine. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, just crazy. So yeah, he's in a ton of stuff. The one thing I really want to watch that I wasn't aware that he had done is he did a an unofficial uh, Elliot Smith bio documentary thing. Um, or not bio, just documentary, I guess. But I wasn't aware of that. I haven't seen it. It's called uh, Finding Elliot Smith, but I oh, have yet really? to watch it. Yeah, I didn't know. I know I've seen the the more recent documentary that came out called Heaven Adores You, but I didn't mm-hmm. realize he did his own too. So very cool. Yeah, but yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, no, he's done a lot of cool stuff. Like definitely, like he's done a lot of stuff that you wouldn't even. You've probably seen stuff by him that you don't even know. Um, yeah. That he did uh, over the years and stuff like that. So, uh, but certainly uh, worth checking out, and and oh, and also the puking stuff as well. <laughs> of course those jackass movies are incredible actually too they really are like they they're very uh you would think well it is what it is but you you would think like that like he says in the interview that it can't hold up for whatever an hour or whatever however long they are but it's totally those movies are great yeah absolutely what is this murder ball thing i don't know, that one, know. it's like a tv movie jackass presents murder ball you got me there i don't know that one and I didn't realize he directed one episode of the new Bob and, da- Bob and David uh, Netflix thing. No, I think he did the back- making of documentary. Oh, the making of. Pardon me. Yeah, you're right. I was reading that wrong. Um, oh, and he did the meltdown with Jonah. Yeah, he's done a lot of like this uh, Bridget Everett gyne- gynecological wonder is also excellent and features one of the Beastie Boys in her backup band. Which oh, is really? Great. Yeah, if you ever see it. It's uh, – what's his name? The I always forget their names. Uh, Mike D. Yeah, the um, not Mike D. Uh, I don't think it's Mike D. The one who's married to uh, Latigra. What's her name? Bad with names right now. Or not married to? I don't know. Whatever. There, the couple. Oh, he's with, with Kathleen uh, Hanna. Yeah, Kathleen Hanna's significant other. Uh, uh, um. Anyway, he's in it. It's great, <laughs> great comedy thing. Uh, why can't we remember the, the Beastie Boys name? I just forget one. I remember like it's, it's obviously. Well, that's. It's like Ad Rock. Adam Yock. Is it Ad Rock? I don't know. Ad Rock, yeah. Because it's not Adam Yock, obviously. He's passed. No, away. obviously. Yeah. And so it's it's Ad Rock that's married to her, right? Not Mike D. Yes, I believe you're correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Married, to, guy... married to. There you go. Oh, yeah. married. Okay. So that, is yeah, that was an awkward moment for everyone to have to listen to. <laughs> hey, well, this, this is how we do this show. He was the one in The Young and the Useless. Oh, okay. I never know which one. I mean, those bands are all good. I just never – I don't know who was in water. I'm mm-hmm. not really overly concerned about it. But uh, anyway, great. Uh, next email, my friend. Next email. Oh, this one's big, but you'll like it. This is right up your alley. 
Uh, this is from Ryan H, and it's a mailbag suggestion. Um, yeah, the first the first bit. The second bit is a guest suggestion. Which, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll leave that for yeah. off air. Um, yeah. I'd like to add to the continuing saga of Epifat conversation that pop up here and there on the show. There is one record in particular that I believe never got the recognition it deserves. Ten Foot Pole's 1997 Epitaph release, Unleashed. Thank you very much. I do agree with you, Ryan, but we'll get your reasons first. I think there are several reasons why this album has uh, was overlooked by most of the people into that type of punk in the late mid-late 90s. One was that surely because this was the first LP that featured Dennis on vocals rather than Scott, who had to leave the band due to his baseball contract. I guess we all know he ended up in Pulley, who are great as well. Dennis's vocals in comparison to Scott's are slightly less punchy, and I think a lot of 10-foot Poles fans just checked out and went on to other bands after this record. Overall, however, I think this record packs the biggest punch of any of their discography. The record is slick, yet not overproduced. The guitarists are masterfully written and executed. The drummer who played with them at the time could have easily stood toe-to-toe with any of the amazing fat drummers of the era. Most important, though... More important, though, I think this record deserves a chance, if only for the lyrical content. Topics discussed on this record include suicide, mental health, overprescribing of medication to children, alcoholism, sexual abuse, and child abuse. Uh, pretty self-aware for a skater punk type of record released in 1997 on Epitaph. I recommend a second or first listen to this record with fresh ears. I love the show, and thanks for all the great discussions. Thank you, Ryan, for the guest suggestion, and also for this email because I do agree. I think Unleashed is a underrated record. Chris? <laughs> well, respectfully, I don't, uh, but I, were you a 10 foot fan prior to this era? Yeah. Like I liked, uh, what's it? Rev is the first record. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. So I think I checked out because of the vocals. Like he, he, he aptly puts everything in this email, but um, yeah, this record I did not enjoy, although I have admittedly not listened to it probably since 97 or 98. I listened to it, I think, once. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, you're, this is sort of, the fact that you like this record as much as you seem to is, is kind of amazing to me. Not that it's like, I just, this is the one I, I couldn't get into. Yeah, I think I've got a soft spot for this record because also this is the record I saw them on on like my first road trip with my friend David Wang and my brother where we went to Montreal to see Ten Foot Pole play with, I believe it was Mano Steel was the opening act and 22 <laughs> Jacks, I believe, also played. Wow. And also Ten Foot Pole brought future Simple Planners reset on stage to do a couple songs in the middle of their set. Well, there you go. Do a jump on mini set for the Montreal adoring fans. Well, you know what? I'm wrong. Like, I remember not being a huge fan of this record, but I, I'm confused. The one I confuse this record for is Insider, the one after that. Yeah, no, this record, I, I know. I remember digging this record, and I remember also the lyrics being something that stood out to me. I think in retrospect, hearing some of those lyrics done in this style are, are uh, it's, it's weird. Yeah. But um, it definitely is a much more progressive record lyrically than like a lot of their peers. And yeah, I think I think you know the the reasons that you've laid out here, Ryan, perfectly sum up why it wasn't like looked upon as being the great record. I, however, think that their greatest period was prior to this, when they had another drummer named Brian Walsby, and they went by another name called Scared <laughs> Straight. Yes, as we've talked. 
<laughs> I love that. Anytime you can bring that up, you bring it up. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That was like the first, I think that was the first thing that got me into this sort of bullshit. It was like finding out that 10 foot pole used to be this mystic band. I don't know. First thing you think, really? That was the first thing. I remember that happening and I was like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> and then I got the single, the scared straight single. And I looked at the back and, you know, there's like, you know, all of them there. And you're like, they look the same, but they're younger. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I don't know. This first LP, I don't know of the Swill. Do you know that one? Whoa. Let's get up this fucking 10 foot pole discography now. Yeah, because I thought Rev was the first LP, but apparently it's not. No. Is it and on? It, it's Scared Straight self-released. Oh, that was the, it was also as Scared Straight. What? Confused at this. So they did a S- Scared Straight record before and they rebadged it as 10-foot pole? Oh, it, only never, it never came out on vinyl. But I think they just might have called the record label Scared Straight. Yeah, but if you look at another link... Oh, like, shit, you're right. There's a Scared that, Straight yeah. cover. That's Whoa, crazy. Oh, that is really weird, Chris. So yeah, they just bizarre. did like a repressing. They must have just changed their name. Yeah, interesting, but I didn't know that. So I don't know that one, but... Um, well, these Scared Straight versions are hella rare, though. Are they? Maybe they're not Only even... CD and cassettes, so there you go. Yeah, but they're not even up here. Like, no one's ever sold one on Discogs. Yeah. Which yeah. means you can't get it right now. Is what means it means I can't find it, Chris. There are <laughs> yeah. songs that are on the first record on here, right? I think so. When I was looking at the uh, yeah. track list here, either way, uh, Rev was the record that I identified most with with this band. Unleashed. I remember um, again. I confused that for a minute, so I apologize. Insider was the record I was thinking of. Unleashed. I don't remember having any uh, major feelings uh, negatively toward. Although I do prefer the other singer, but uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, I, I really like it, and as I mentioned, why I have my soft spot for it, um, but you know, they they had a, quite a run, you know? A lot of good messages from people this week laying out their arguments very succinctly. Yeah, no, we definitely did. There was a, there's a lot of people here that have, uh, you know, really, really uh, put forward some points, you know, critiques, points. <laughs> yes, totally. How to that. Tefa Pole was on victory, I forgot about that. Yeah, later. Exactly. Go kart. Weird. The yeah. weirdest uh, label trajectory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Next so, email. Next email. Fun punk bands from Daniel B. I've been catching up with the episodes as I can now download them on my new phone. Congratulations Here. on the new phone, Daniel. <laughs> uh, he named specifically the type. That's why I avoided it. But. Uh, uh, Frank Turner episode he's referencing. I wanted to get in touch with you and ask you about fun punk or punk pathetic, as he writes here. I know that most punk bands have a joke song or joke album even, but what about the guys whose whole ethos is to make people laugh with punk? Guys like Toys Dolls, Half Man, Half Biscuit, Peter and the Test Tube Babies. Do they ever make it out to Canada uh, or North America in general? Are there any North American equivalent bands of these UK bands or would no effects sort of take that mental for that. They're definitely, you know, like, um, hard skin is, but uh, they're not North American, but, um, there's another band I'd lump in that category. Uh, you know, like I think manic Hispanic. Yeah. Good, clean, good fun. Call. 
Um, it's funny though, cause like, you know, some of those joke, like Manic Hispanic has a very, you know, hard reputation, you know, not that, yeah. but they're fans definitely. There's like some very intense shows that they'll play. Vandals is another band, I think, that, yeah, you know, I don't think they have any serious songs. There's another band that you have not spoke of fondly in past episodes, also from California. <laughs> uh, Blink 182? No, Guttermouth. Oh, Guttermouth. Yeah, do they have any serious songs too? I don't think so. They seriously jacked uh Five Nuts <laughs> Chuckle song. <laughs> That's what I was referring to. But yeah, um I think there are a few. I don't uh I mean in the in the interview, the interview episode that just aired the Lance Bangs one, he mentions things like Dead Milkman. I'd kind of argue a little bit on that, although they definitely did have these kind of jokey yeah. elements. But I, I definitely consider them a much more uh, satirical group legitimately than just kind of a jokey thing to dismiss personally. But A, a much more North American phenomenon is to say something sketchy and then be like, no, no, we were joking. There was a joke <laughs> song. We were a joke band. Yeah, I suppose you're right there. <laughs> but anyway, great message. Next one here, which I know is going to be right up your alley. Yes, the next one here is the Sucker Punch Flexi is the title from Graham. The Sucker Punch Flexi you mentioned in the newest Footnotes episode was shrink-wrapped with a short-lived Canadian youth culture magazine that I cannot for the life of me remember the name of. I think it ran for maybe four or so issues. I think it was given away at a Sucker Punch show at the Freak Show. Thinking about it, the show might have been the launch party for the magazine because that's where I obtained it. And then Graham goes on to say that though he kept the unopened issue for a number of years, it has since been deposited into the trash. So thank you, Graham, for sending that in. But that makes that one of those really rare records, you know, because like how many people held on to that flexi? Yeah, I don't know. The um, It's funny, though, that someone mentioned this because I had another friend reach out to me and say they had that Sucker Punch LP. Oh, yeah. Um, although I'm looking up the wrong one now, I'm trying to find the Canadian one on here, but yeah, the, uh, the, yeah. we found it, we found it like, was that last week or man, Chris, when we don't record this for a while, we get so, get so apart from each other. It's true. I can't remember which, but anyway, we discussed it, but, uh, yeah, I had a friend talk about that. They had the LP, this, uh, this flexi I've never seen. Have you even ever seen it? No, no, never seen a copy of it. Yeah, so it's it's going to be fairly rare. I don't uh, I don't know to have anything to say about what's on it offhand because I don't have it. But uh, yeah, I like that we're getting the sucker punch. I like when people write in about these kind of bands because it's funny seeing these resonate resonate with people. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very cool either way. And the last one uh, to go on to the last yeah. email, if you want to move on to it. Uh, sorry, I'm just now stuck in this sucker punch uh, discogs wormhole. <laughs> next email <laughs> next email is collected collected missives from mitch c There's a lot of things to touch on but the main point is um um his first bit is the comedy drummer angle related uh he mentions todd barry confirms that as you did uh he said he was running a sound for him at one of the uh one of the yola tango hanukkah shows at maxwell's in new jersey did in he did in fact offer to play drums in the collaborative set they were doing that night the other musical guest saying that he was a drummer and only played in bands when he was younger. Uh, another person he mentions, which I vaguely remember this for some reason, but Dana Carvey also was a, a drummer comedian. Oh, yeah. We does that great scene in uh, Wayne's World where he does a solo on the kit in, uh, yeah. in the drum store. 
Yeah, totally. But so Dana Carvey's another one he mentions there, just basically on the the tip of that whole uh, angle. Um, mentions the uh, all descendants not really being applicable for the multiple lead singers because they're their own sort of bands and what have you. Um, the John Fine episode he references here. Um, uh, what was it here? Talked about the band from Jersey that had Dave Grohl produce their album there called Rye Coalition. Rye Coalition, yeah. Rad Dudes and, and an awesome band. Had no idea about them before I moved to Jersey, but they did, in fact, record with Grohl and toured with Foo Fighters and Queens of the Stone Age. I met them through Maxwell's again uh, at a reunion show and became friends with them over the years. There's a documentary about the band that I think you would like called Rye Coalition, the story of the Hard Luck Five. If you're interested... He's going to bring the DVD to your show coming up, so hit him up if you want that, Damien. Oh, but anyway, thank you very much. Yeah, so uh, great messages. There was a lot to address in this big one. I was just trying to make it as brief as possible because we've already uh, <laughs> got an hour deep here. We're over an hour now, I think. Yeah, so either way, great messages. Uh, there was a lot to cover over this last, whatever, week and a half, two weeks almost. Yes. So, yeah. yeah but this on is a, to the... Uh, this is uh, definitely a... I think this is an episode, Chris, that is ripe for you to riff yeah. on. A lot of bands that you enjoy brought up. So <laughs> I think we should dive on in now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What do you want to touch on? Uh, I don't know. I guess like uh, well, we've touched on a lot of the earlier stuff, um, <laughs> you know, like a lot of the, uh, the the backstory. But I guess like to, to kind of jump in, uh, I think uh, I think like the idea of seeing punk – on morning shows or just seeing punk in sort of like children's shows. And I guess this goes from like, you know, seeing Deborah Harry on the Muppet show, but even before that, seeing Patty Smith on their morning show and just like how it creeps in, you know, like how sort of this culture winds up in pop culture places. And, you know, and I think at the time, probably people like would bemoan it and be like, oh, look at this sellout culture. Look at this stuff. But that's how you get the next wave of kids infected. I think that's, yeah, I think that's perfectly stated actually. Um, I don't remember some of these, obviously these exact things. Like I don't even remember that. I don't think I've ever even seen this Deborah Harry on the Muppet show. I don't um, remember it as a kid seeing it. Like I must've seen it later on a rerun, I think, yeah. but it does have like a, a real standout of my memory kind of feel to it too. Yeah, but the uh, the one I really remember from that, oddly enough, is the Alice Cooper <laughs> oh. uh, the Muppet Show, where he does like "Welcome to My Nightmare" with yeah. all the puppets. Yeah, it's cool as hell, actually. Yeah, uh, not really, not really a punk centric things per se, but um, yeah. But I think though you're you're bang on in saying that it. I think it, however you worded it, I think you said it affects the next generation. Yeah, like that's perfectly said. I remember. Um, one like you'd see, I'm trying to think of like the predominant things you would see. I remember like um, oh god, like Geraldo and those shows, or uh, I don't know, I can't remember all the the people that had Johnny, those talk shows. Geraldo would have Gigi Allen on. Yeah, that one I remember catching when I was homesick from yeah. school. Yep, and uh, that had a profound moment uh, seeing that. But, El Duce on Springer. Yeah, there's always like those kind of shows were always really good for that kind of stuff. Mind yeah. you, they were super sensational. Yeah. Um. So you were getting these like really, you know, off like you're saying, Gigi Allen or Alduce, like pretty polarizing figures. What but, about? Um. Sorry, not to cut you off, but now that we're on this other weird digression about talk show appearances, <laughs> have you ever seen the Locust on Jer on Springer? The 
Not as a performance. You're talking about the, yeah, the fake, they prop yeah. the, yeah. Scott Bybin from Bloodlink Records. Yes, I think we've talked about that on this very show, actually. Well, um, fuck, Chris. Okay, then I ruined it. <laughs> so it's okay. But, uh, yeah, it's good. They fake, like, a what was it, a love triangle, and then they attack yeah. one another on yeah, the they show? Yeah, they had no fight. Pretty, pretty uh, a, a choreographed little battle with each other. Yeah, it's great, though. But, yeah, I'm with you on these. Like, it's always interesting to me when you see these things pop up in – mainstream culture in any regard and how it, like you said, it infects people or whatever. I'm curious as to what the, because the media landscape is so different and it's a lot easier to get into everything anyway, but I'm wondering if there will be as many um, of these kind of hallmark, you know, moments that, that really catch people that way anymore, or if that still even exists in the same manner. Oh yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's, I guess, I guess, well, it, it probably still exists in some manner, right? Well, I'm thinking of things like, you know, even like you do things for Vice. So someone will see that, they will then know who you are, and then they look into that. Like, I, I used to do that with people. Like, even if you think of uh, like Daniel Richler when he worked for the CBC doing like his weird big love or big life show, pardon me. Like, <laughs> learning about that is just like, you know, it's you'll always find little things here and there, or like much music. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of things. But so th- it still exists. But I I don't know if there are these like Debra Harry on <laughs> on the uh, Muppet show kind of things or even like the cramps on now to and or, you know, they're, they're, they don't seem to be quite as huge anymore. Although maybe it's just that it's less of a, a deal now that I can't really even remember when I see these things as much because it's so ubiquitous or something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. It's it, like now it, it's changed, right? Like. There, there are a lot more media outlets now, and a yes. lot more media places covering outsider culture. So it's not, but it's still like I just think when it shows up in like a weird mainstream place, that's when it, that's when it really has an impact on kids that don't have access to those outposts yet. But maybe that's all changed because the internet. Yeah, it could be. I, I just, it's always going to be in some like form. It's going to do it. But I'm just wondering because like. You know, like specifically talking about that, the ones that he highlights are the ones that you mentioned. Like, yeah, those those ones, I don't know if you'll find like those big examples anymore. Although you'd still like, you know, musical performances on SNL or something like, you know, those will always catch people, I'm sure. But young people especially. But I don't know. Interesting topic. But yeah, I, I can't think of any super pr- profound ones other than the ones we mentioned. Um you know, obviously, I don't remember seeing the New York Hardcore. What was it on Donahue? I never saw it when it aired. I subsequently no, I didn't watched it, it a million times, but yeah, <laughs> it's, but it's weird because it doesn't seem too far off from when, like that GG on whatever, I don't, whatever show he was on. I think it was, yeah, it was a few years before. Like that would have been like what eighty four, eighty five, uh, maybe. But I remember – I don't know why. Like I loved those kind of like talk shows like that. Like they were ridiculous. It was like – it was because it was like wrestling because mm-hmm. people just always fight. Mm-hmm. So it's funny to watch people argue and fight when I was young, I guess. There's also but, the other one that's amazing that's not quite as sensational but no doubt worth the watch is the war zone on Regis with guest Kathy Lee back before Kathy Lee was Regis's co-host. Wow. Have you watched that before? I've never seen that. Oh, my enough. God. Todd Youth and Rabies. It's, it's it's amazing. <laughs> nice. I got to look at that up. I have never, I don't know why I've never seen that, but yeah, I haven't. With Regis. Cool. 
Nice. The uh, but yeah, I don't know. I like I like this sort of idea, but I can't think of any profound ones offhand. Uh, again, people people can think of ones. Hit us up. Damien's getting a spot blown up right now. Yeah, my wife's blowing up my spot right now. <laughs> okay, you want me to take the next point here? Uh, you're sure. Okay. Um, what to touch on here? The curse of Bon Jovi in New Jersey. I found interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it's. I don't know. Sorry, I guess there's like always that's that curse of like the big band in your hometown when you don't fit in. Totally. The the one I wanted to touch on because an email touched on it. We didn't really get into it, but the idea of the Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam. Yeah. And how he was talking about how he resented Pearl Jam and in in the sort of whatever you want to say in the shadow of Nirvana or what have you. Um, yeah, I'm with I'm with him there. Like I I don't do not like Pearl Jam at all. Um. I fully agree with that. I think who was the other band? Oh, Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, Smashing Pumpkins for me, I would only probably give a nod to Gish. I don't like whatever that hell that record's called that everyone likes. Siamese Dream, I think, the one with the ballad on it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. You, Siamese Dream, right? That's like the, that was the big one. Yeah, I think, but that, that record before Gish is decent. But um, yeah, not a fan of either of those bands. I thought it was important that he talked about like. I thought it was really well stated how he kind of like held Nirvana up high and then sort of really not like panned those bands, but definitely like put them in the the right historical context, you know, in contrast to something like Nirvana. So I thought that was cool. But I don't yeah, know like, if you have the same experience with that or not. I like, I don't know. I Pearl Jam for me because I, I maybe because I liked him at the time um, and I wasn't such a fan of Smashing Pumpkins um, at all, really. Um, I've always and I've always kind of thought they were more connected to punk because they did have that ex-member lineage to punk bands. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. You know, this podcast, of course, has exposed that uh, they haven't always been necessarily the nicest of some people that have been guests on this podcast. But um, also at the same time, I've heard they've been amazingly nice to other people that have been guests on this podcast. So, yeah, I've never had any run-ins with them personally to know what they're like as people, but I've always given them that punk pass. Because it has, you know, direct lineage to a bunch of punk bands that I know and like. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But yeah. I, I think it was important that he, whatever. But he's right. But it's, but it is true. Like you know, they're different than Nirvana. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny that most of the guests that you have had on that have were there when it was blowing up. Most of them were pretty. Um, I don't know if condescending is the right word, but certainly we are not as starstruck as maybe you and I are talking about Nirvana at times. Mm-hmm. Like I'm particularly thinking of Nate from yeah. uh, Brotherhood, Foo Fighters, all that. But um, I thought it was interesting that he he held Nirvana in such a high regard and he would be maybe even older than that, that generation. Yeah, like I, about the same age. I think I think he was close to it when it was happening, right? Like I think he was – Part of, like he was part of that scene in a way that Nate from the Foo Fighters wasn't, you know. Yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. And Nate would have come from punk and hardcore, so that's a different yeah. angle or whatever. Yeah, and like not that that Lance didn't come from it, but like I think you're right. Nate came from a very specific, you know, <laughs> type of hardcore. Yes, uh, which was very dismissive of any cultural phenomena, even ones that come from internal. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I honestly thought, um, yeah, like I, th- I think that's the thing is like, in, you talk to people that were around back then, and Pearl Jam's always t- 
dismissed. And I think it's very similar to Clash Sex Pistols. <laughs> In relation to Nirvana being the Sex Pistols as to the Pearl Jam's Clash, is what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like the Pearl Jam is a, is a great rock band. But Nirvana was a, a confluence of time and space. <laughs> I think you're, the way you're framing it is really well done, and it's particularly creative for you to frame it in such a way to make that a backhanded compliment about the, or not even a compliment, but whatever. You, you're able to get your shot in on the Clash again. No, but uh, I'm, I'm not even trying to get the shot no, in the Clash. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a, it comes up so many times with people that I talk. I've even stopped asking it on the podcast because you know it's like. Uh, it's become like a weird thing, you know, and I, and I also, I didn't want to come off like I hate the clash. Cause I think the clash are incredible and they have their place in music. Yeah. Definitely. But I think it's a different thing than the sex whistles in the same way. Totally. totally. I, I totally agree with this, with this analogy though. I do. And it pains me even to say it because I have to then lump the clash in with Pearl Jam, which I do not enjoy that thought, but yeah, it's <laughs> you're you're definitely, uh, you're not far off in explaining it the way you are, where you're talking about the perfect confluence of time with Sex Pistols or something at Nirvana, those things that just hit and are like these, whatever, perfect things of their time that don't really make sense, even how they got so huge or something. Yeah. Have you with ever seen the, the Hype documentary? No. The one on Seattle Grunge? No. That um, Who did that one again? I don't know. I don't even know. Did it come out at the time of? or like- No, it came out like in 96. And okay. it was a sort of retrospective look at the grunge movement uh, directed by Doug Prey, who did um, uh, like that Scratch documentary and did like, you know, just like a bunch of other documentaries. But I think this is probably, Hype is one of the bigger ones that he did. But uh, anyway, it's a cool kind of look at that Seattle grunge scene. Nils, who did PR at Matador for years is in it, of course, because he used to work at Sub Pop back then. And and it's also got some amazing interviews with people. And one of the people that comes off really good in it is Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Eddie Vedder. Yeah, I was going to say Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I, got, I opened IMDb and saw a picture of Eddie Murphy. And so I said, <laughs> it would be amazing like Eddie Murphy is in it talking about grunge and the effect of grunge on him. I just uh, was envisioning Eddie Murphy singing for Pearl Jam. <laughs> I got equally amused. That would be incredible. Uh, I think you'd love Pearl Jam then, Chris. If Eddie Murphy sang for Pearl Jam, I might like them more than I do now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but Eddie, it does have Eddie Vedder in it. And Eddie Vedder, you know, is very uh, self-aware sounding in that thing. He's like, you know, I think he knows that, you know, where they were kind of sitting at that point and where they sit, you know, like they're now, you know, just like almost like the modern Grateful Dead, like the closest thing we have to like a modern Grateful Dead. Yeah, something like that for sure. They're definitely an institution. People I, follow them around, trade live recordings and stuff. Yeah. That's the thing with me is like it pains me too because I don't particularly have any issue with him either. Uh, and I, I'm with you. Like I haven't seen that documentary, but I've seen different things of him speaking and things or just cameoing. And I've always actually liked him. And I've discussed on this show that Hovercraft, the band uh, that I believe his wife is in, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Uh, and ex-wife now, I think, right? Or, they or ex-wife. Right? Either way. Dig Hovercraft and there's there's connections there. So – I have no beef with him. I just have never liked the band. But yeah, um, I got to see that. I've not seen that documentary. It's cool. It's definitely really cool. Fastbacks are in it. So, you know, nice. you got to love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it, I don't know. I find like that, you know, gave me a different perspective on Pearl Jam. Was I saw Eddie Vedder kind of talking in that movie as well. And yeah, I got to say, even Flo as a kid, you're watching that video. 
Look pretty fucking cool. Oh, for sure. Turn Definitely the lights hit- down, Josh. This is a rock concert, not a TV show. <laughs> is that what he says with it? I don't know. Probably. Who knows? Fuck. The one I just remember, like, that song I don't enjoy, but I remember the, was it Jeremy was the one that was the particular, like, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. like Jeremy that much. I liked even no. flow. Although Jeremy, uh, very apt subject matter, uh, way before its time. Yeah, you know, it, it definitely. But I like, I still don't know what the fuck that song's really about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, is Fair it enough, yeah. is it the bully singing? And then, oh yeah, you're right because the narrative does take it. Yeah, yeah, clearly I remember picking on the boy seemed a harmless little you're fuck. Right. That does oh, make but it we weird. Unleashed a lion. <laughs> <laughs> when you sing it too, that like you're singing it in a very funny way, but it's not far off from how it's actually delivered, which makes it even funnier. Like, yeah. that was the legitimate delivery on that song. Like that's crazy. And the video, this video is amazing because it's like a medium close shot of him sitting in the chair delivering a direct to camera. Yeah, remember that? Well, oh, so weird. Weird time for the nineties. Weird, weird time, time in the nineties. Weird time. Pearl Jam. Well. Pearl Jam, a band that somehow keeps coming up on Turn Out of Punk. Yeah. They have the perfect name, too, because it's the name is terrible, and it just matches. It's it is a terrible name. I definitely – there's no – I can't argue that in any way. No. Anyway, you pick the next point, my friend, because I think that was my point. Um, I guess I want to talk a little bit about Cinema of Transgression. <laughs> okay. And that, like uh, – and film threat and kind of that brief moment of – yeah true independent film you know like i i bring up this cocteau quote that uh i read in in a zine years ago that was like uh film will become an art form when cameras become as cheap as uh pens and paper or pencils and paper i guess um and uh that's probably a paraphrase but that's like with cinema transgression that's when it was kind of like film was really cheap and really dirty and it was very transgressive art yeah, totally. I I liked the way when you brought that, because I don't know if you brought that up to him or he talked about it, but I thought it was interesting being that he, you know, his, whatever, his career is, is filming, that he also knew about all that stuff. And he knew about it well enough that the little things he talked about were, or I thought were spot on in terms of, uh, like framing Nick Zed differently than Richard Kern and, mm-hmm. and things like that. That was an important way he framed that. And I thought it was spot on. Um, Although having said that, I <laughs> Nick Nick Zed is definitely um, in 2016, especially is probably a little, well, not a little, very difficult <laughs> to contextualize. But um, a lot of that is, stuff was. Oh, as is current, no, no question. But I just mean um, there's more absurdity. Although there's a lot of absurdity in all of it. There's definitely like some abuse in Nick Zed films. That yes, totally. In Kern, there might. If it's not yeah, legitimate, like it's acted and it's very real if it's not. So yeah, it's the thing that kind of always about this era, uh, like sort of uh, intrigues me is like where all of that came from. Cause it seems like that comes from like, you know, if I had to take a guess like this, this art school punk kind of thing. And so New York was rife with that kind of stuff at a certain point, but, and then in the nineties, it sort of becomes its own animal, which links more with, um, like when I think, I think when I first heard of Richard Kern was probably somehow in relation to Sonic youth. And so 
you know, although that is obviously has a punk connection or whatever, it's not really what I would think of. Whereas like someone like Nick Zed, I learned about after even, and that was more of a, I don't even know, just like straight. It's like things like you would, again, I hate to bring it up again because it seems like I'm more obsessed with this stuff than I am, but like things like Gigi Allen or, you know, these ridiculous things that used to be like to see footage of this, it was like you'd have to make an effort to find it or, you know, there's always this infamy to the, um, the subject matter or an absurdity where you'd hear about it, you'd think it wasn't true. And then you'd search it out and you'd find, Oh no, yeah, this is actually like, you know, some dude naked, you know, throwing feces around. So it, the Nick Zed stuff was like like that for me. The current stuff is just a little more artsy, um, and I therefore I like it more. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought the way he framed it was perfect. I don't know like how uh, film thread I never got into, but you said you bought that whole run. Yeah, I've um, got the whole run minus episode one or whatever issue one. But uh, yeah, I got to go through all that like because I never followed any of those. Like I'm aware of them, but I never had those when they came out, or I never really read that magazine. I just kind of got into a few of these things, I don't know, via associated artists or whatever, like bands that would use these people, which is kind of funny because he has like a very, um, like, I don't know, like when you think of the way he's been involved with music, it's slightly, it's not similar in in tone to what we're discussing here with the cinema transgression stuff or whatever, Richard Kern, but it's very, um, like he is that kind of guy without the, without all the weirdness, I guess is the way I would put it or something. Yeah. Like like he he's worked with a lot of artists. He's done a lot of this like, you know, like collaboration stuff, either doing music videos or whatever. Although with him, it seems to hit more with the uh, almost like the skateboarding whatever thing that pops up and that becomes the jackass, you know, Goliath. But anyway, I don't know. I'm ranting. But uh, what are your thoughts? Well, no, I'm just like it's just you know. First of all, I'm going through Nick. Zed's IMDb and he has some TV <laughs> series now apparently. Oh, wow. Oh, he made a movie about Suck Dog too. Oh, did he? Yeah. Nice. Or did something with Suck Dog. Anyway, he is yeah, like there I don't know, I find it like a fascinating kind of time to and uh, and all these filmmakers because it's it's you know, they're truly pushing the boundaries and trying to create like a, a punk cinema. And in some cases it succeeded and in some cases it kind of fails. And I guess it really depends on, you know, which, which filmmaker, as you said, you're talking about. Um, but yeah, like, I think you're right. Like this does kind of like pre foretell like, uh, the, a moment in, in filmmaking that kind of, I, I wonder if it leads, I wonder if it would lead to like stuff like the dogma 95 stuff. I wonder if it was informed at all by this sort of thing. Oh, I I think it wasn't informed. You wonder if Dogme was informed by that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say so. Exactly. You're kind of touching on what I think is interesting point to make, which is that most people don't know about these things we're speaking of. Like most people don't know these names as like household names. But uh, and even weirdly, I would have never thought to even associate in a roundabout way Lance Bangs with anything like this, or that he was even aware of it. But. Um, I think what was inspired by these things probably even in an auxiliary term became a lot bigger. Like again, like Lance Bangs ends up doing all this stuff. Even if you're talking about uh, the dog me stuff, you could lump in uh, what's his face. Harmony Corinne, you know, who does, you know, movies that, well, he made a dog like, movie, right? Didn't he do one? He did. Yeah. yeah. Did uh Julian donkey boy. Oh yeah. The that's, dog movie. that's right. But anyway, so I think like that, whatever was resonating in like that, whatever, 
80s, well, even some like 70s, but mostly 80s into the early 90s, that then influences the, the next wave of, I don't know, whatever, that weird 90s New York thing that starts up with, again, like people that are like transplants coming to the city like Harmi Corinne or whoever like that. Or even, you know, if you want to go into another like controversial character, like someone like Vincent Gallo or yep. stuff like that. Although he is legitimately inserted, you know, in the first wave of all that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm curious. I'm always curious the people that could fill in the holes with how many of these people ran in the same circles at all. Like, yeah, that's what most makes me curious about this era. Because if you think of everything that was happening in punk in the 70s in New York, and then you think of all this stuff that's kind of seems like it probably would have been around too in some weird way. And then how that all fits. Even like Jim Jarmusch, like where does he – does he know about this stuff? Like, well, he definitely he, would know about this stuff. Yeah. Like I, I'm sure he would have been on some level involved in it, right? Like he was making stuff back then, like 8 miller, eight millimeter, sort of really stark. Certainly not as sexually explicit and violent as some of this stuff. But Yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, you know. Yeah, I think that I think you hit it on the head though. There was, there was like these people making these short experimental films, and that was like a for me that was like a thing, a world that I always was intrigued by. And I haven't seen the majority of these, but the ones I have seen are, are you know now in hindsight they're a little sometimes they're even a bit cheesy because it's you know yeah, contextually it's a they're, yeah they're like thirty years off or forty years off depending. And so yeah, it it doesn't and now it, like you throw it up on YouTube, it loses like this. Um, you know, like again, tape trading or seeking these things out used to be a big deal. Even if I think about you talking about working at a record uh, record store, at a video store, like that phenomenon of going to like a weird video store that had these crazy things. I don't know if they had these ones, but um, oh, yeah, they had the, the, these ones. Yeah, so it's it's like that used to be a way bigger deal than it is now. So to take away all that, um, I don't know whatever the word is, mystique to it, it sort of frames it differently as well. Yeah, but, definitely. Uh, I agree with that. Like, you, you definitely don't see it, you know, once, once that kind of like, you know, the, uh, the forbiddenness or the, uh, the, the quest is removed, it does look a little bit hokier in some cases. Yeah. And I think also taboos, you know, they break, you break taboos. And this is the a generation of people that were attempting to and, you know, may have influenced people that did break them on a broader scale. Mm -hmm. And so now this stuff does not come off. Well, the, the biggest thing to come in a film threat, I think, is definitely you know um, what you know, Hangover and and Old School and Todd Phillips, right? That's his name. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, the one who did uh, Hated. Yeah, I can't remember his name though. But yeah, Todd. I think it's Todd Phillips. We can look it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was I think the biggest sort of like successor out of that because you know that was the uh, that was you know a direct directly. Oh, yeah. Todd Phillips directly tied into all those movies, you know, all these big, huge movies. Um, but at the same time, you know, he came right out of this sort of like really punk informed magazine that's still going. They've got a Kickstarter right now. They're trying to save film threats. So please contribute to that if you can. Yeah, cool. But yeah, I think, I think you're spot on, but I think your show <clears throat> doing these interviews has also unearthed that, that idea that, and you've been a big proponent of, like you're trying to unearth all the people that, you know, Punk has shaped the modern world, or whatever, however you want to say it. Like, like in the modern pop culture narrative, I guess would be the easier way to say it. Yeah, and I think someone like Todd Phillips is a good example. Even Lance Bangs, as I've now learned, is a, is a great example of that. So, uh, yeah, I think your your uh, your quest to fulfill that is is is. 
going very well because we keep finding even if you think about the Craig Ferguson thing like his whole lineage different entirely but you know also speaks to that so yeah that's I find I always find that intriguing like what when people make good coming from like this world that I think is just for like you know people that aren't going to succeed at doing something commercially or something anyway yeah look I think that's the thing is there's there, people are attracted by this energy and there's like very few things that tell you you can in the way that punk does like you can do anything involved in this music is like basically what you're told as soon as you get into it i mean like real punk and i don't mean that in like a a negative put down kind of way but i mean like there's stuff that like you know just just dresses up a little bit like punk but like you know like anything that's kind of remotely connected to punk is all about the demystification of you know, the idea of being a, a rock star, quote unquote, or being a pop star. Yeah. And, you know, and that the fact that anyone can do this shit, anyone can put out these records, anyone can be in a band, anyone can do any of this stuff. So yeah, like I think that's the, th that's the energy. I'm with you entirely. I think that was perfectly stated, but, um, all right. Was that your point or mine? I don't know. We talked a long time. <laughs> I think it was your point. It was mine. <laughs> Cause that, that transgression. Yeah, there we go. All right. What to touch on next here? Huh. Um, I think it was cool. He mentioned City Gardens. Yeah. The uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I've never been to the, the venue, was it the 40 Watt Club that you've been to in Milestone? I can't remember which one. We've been to Milestones. Okay. Because I've never been to that one. I've never been to either, actually. And I'm kind of shocked that I haven't, uh, over my years of traveling, been to one of those at least. Yeah, like I'm now that I'm going to say I haven't been to the 40 watt club, I'm going to, just going to turn out I have. I'm going to look like the biggest idiot now, <laughs> as illustrated by this episode. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't think I've ever been to the 40 watt club. I've definitely been to Milestones. I think at least, well, I think twice actually I've been there. And it's it's cool. Like they call the CBGBs of the South, you know, and everyone has played there. Everyone cool. has played there. And it's a. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a venue with a tiny stage that is, uh, somehow able to contain all these legendary bands. And so you get to, you know, touch, literally touch history when you play there and stuff. So it's a, it's a cool venue. And I guess much the same with the 40 watt club in Athens. Like that's a venue that has been around for long enough now that it has the same sort of like attachments to it. Cool. Yeah, I just never been, so I didn't know if you had some specific experience from that. That's all. That's funny because um, like almost every city has a venue like that, like you know, like a storied venue that has been the hub for various rock and roll related movements. Yeah, you know, I think like, that's. I think they're shorter lived now, though. But I think they're they're yeah. usually a decade long span at most these days. It seems. I, I know, Toronto's got the horseshoe. You know, there's like. Uh, yeah. There's, I'm sure there's, you know, <laughs> now that I say that, I can't think of anything else. But <laughs> there are, uh, you know, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's now just like a shorter lived span. Well, I think what. Certainly for punk venues. Yeah, we're getting into the idea of this, like, the gentrification of certain cities, too, where that's different now, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that that's all I meant was, like, you think of, like, I don't know, in recent years, there's been venues closing down in Brooklyn or anything like that. that those ones had, you know, many legacies mm -hmm. but yeah and even well cbs of course went under but um anyway yeah i don't remember where we were we were on for this point but um the one thing i want to talk about was the uh <clears throat> him just uh being able to hit up uh ian mckay and uh just crash on his couch and then getting lectured about working for smashing pumpkins which i thought was really interesting that it reminded me of the idea of um 
you were talking, I think it was last out of camera, which week I'm going to say last week where it was the, um, these sort of omnipotent wise punk people. Mm-hmm. And I think Ian has that, uh, the very specific kind of, of like ominous, uh, thing about him where it's like you, you could never live up to the uh the integrity that sort of he and or fugazi and or discord whatever has so i like the idea of like him sort of talking about the smashing pumpkins working with them for that reason but um you framed it very well i didn't think he answered to to like in great detail but when you were talking about the idea of being conflicted about doing like commercially popular things and reconciling that with the um like sort of the, the world he comes from, yeah, like and Fugazi. Exactly, and you you've discussed it, you know at fair length on this show about uh, you having these conflicts as well, or anybody that sort of comes from this world seemingly has this these conflicts. But um, and uh, but I want to juxtapose it against what he was saying with the new era of like sponsorship rock, and that seems to be out the window now that no one really buys records at the rate they did in the nineties. Mm-hmm. But so, do you notice that sort of that bands? seemingly that you experience now say new bands don't tend to have that same like guilt trip about the 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 discord thing or something i think it's like you know i don't don't know it's no because there's definitely like a wave of bands in toronto that went nothing they didn't want jonah to write about them in his punk scene report gotcha you know like there's that sort of side of things too but then there's also because the reality is we are way more corporately involved now than we were back when Ian Mackay was suggesting an alternative path because it's like, you know, you, there's no, there's not a moment in my life as a musician in a band that I'm not involved in some sort of corporation, you know, it's like, be it sending out an email on my Google email address about something, you know, or there's like, you know, your Facebook page, it's all, it's all directly tied to, to corporate stuff now, you know, and like, it's weird. It's the music industry has become a very weird place. The arts, culture, content production business has become a very weird place. I think actually that's the perfect way of stating it. Exactly. Like you stated it there. Um, but yeah, I, I just always wonder about that. This idea of, I wonder if that's like a, a people of our generation have that hang up. And I'm not sure if people, not to say that new bands aren't, don't have integrity or don't have that. They, of course they do. And they don't want, you know, DIY is nothing new and that will remain. But um, the specific though, like this idea of that specific kind of discord world, like that being the, um, the thing people try to aspire to as far as career wise, what to attain just anyway, it's probably it's not, like a, not a very, it's an unrealistic model now, right? Like yes, the, yeah. the idea of like becoming sustainable on, well, first of all, a $5 show. Yeah. And, in, in, in I don't know, like I, I would love to see a band try it. Yeah. Um, you know, and or to try and also be off all social media and not do it with all social media. Cause yeah, that you... to me would be more interesting, actually. How would you do that? But yeah, yeah you, you couldn't. You, you, you probably, I mean, people might have examples, though, actually, of bands that are, but I don't know. I've, you know. I'm sure bands that there, there are on social media, but I'm saying like functional touring bands that have no social media presence. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that exists. Um, Either way, I don't know what my point was there. <laughs> no, it's an interesting point because it's like I I do find it, you know, like a very, you know, I'm still consumed by these kind of questions myself. So. <laughs> I like the, I like the opportunity to discuss them with you, Chris. 
Hey, fair enough. Likewise. Uh, so is it my point now? Yeah, grab something. Uh, I will go with... Uh, uh, I think listening to Team Dretch in the uh, Jackass van is pretty fucking amazing. <laughs> yes. I, I'm imagining <clears throat> all of those guys kind of picking on his musical choices or something. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. The only guy I know from that group other than him is Danger Aaron. Uh who I know is a big Melvin's Poison Idea fan. Oh. From Portland and stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, he has this a crazy, I think he put out a book, if I'm not mistaken, or he's working on it, uh, of all photographs he's taken of the Melvins since he wow. was a kid. Cool. And he's got like some photo of him as like a teenager with Buzz from the Melvins. Nice. In, in, in it as well. So, but anyway, yeah, he's the only guy I know, but yeah, I, I can't see him, <laughs> you know. I don't think he was a big K Records fan. <laughs> no, exactly. Maybe I'm wrong, but as Lance says, you know, they they weren't really into that music. Yeah, well, I I think the idea that he gets um, put in that world is an interesting, weird, almost oxymoron. But um, related to that, I like the idea that he takes initiative to specifically like seek out you know, different groups or whatever to then do the same thing with like when I, like you've noted here, like touring with pavement or whatever, he mentioned filming Nirvana, I think even. Um, so if I look at it in the way that he's just taking all these opportunities and these things just keep springing up, mm-hmm. then his association makes complete sense in all of these forms. But it's funny when I think of things like jackass or whatever, it's, it's not almost like perfect time place, but in many ways, like it is like he, when you think of all the stuff he's been involved in over the last since whatever they say the nineties forward, like it's kind of impressive that he's, um, I don't know what the word like it's it's there's a lot of things and and it covers a wide spectrum, like you know working with Jackass to filming like Nirvana to touring with Pavement to you know any of that it's wild and even Screaming Females who he talks about I don't even know much about that band but the fact that he's like worked with them and he's mm-hmm. like following them around. Like, that's just wild. Or even odd future, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's neat. I think, I think his trajectory is really, really interesting. Yeah. He's definitely someone who, oh, as you can hear, all my kids are getting home yeah. and everything downstairs. Um, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he is definitely someone that, uh, has always been at those points in, in history, where, because I think he is the guy who's got that ear. Yeah, you know, I think that's like, well said. You know, he knows what is responding, like he looks for certain things. And also there's like a through line through all this stuff. Like I think you could even find some sort of through line, certainly through certain members of Odd Future and and like, you know, maybe maybe what uh, Ian McKay is doing. That might be a harder one, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. That brings up the uh, whole explaining Odd Future Ian McKay. I would have loved to have heard that Oh, I love that. Amazing. I would have loved to – I wish that were filmed. Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, well, I think uh, unless there's anything else, Chris, I think that could bring us to the end for today. No, I'm good. Let's. We should wrap. You, you have children to attend to. Yes. This is also, Chris, the last one before episode 100. So oh, next ooh. week is going to be Footnotes 100. Nice. And uh, hopefully we'll have some surprises and special guests in store for that. Sick. 
Um, but anyway, thank you everyone for listening. If you want to get in touch with, uh, me, please, uh, hit me up on social media at left for Damien on various things. You can also go over to the Facebook page as mentioned before, turned out a punk and, or turned out a punk.tumblr.com or Chris, how do they get in touch with us here? Uh, turned out a punk footnotes at gmail.com. And, uh, as you heard throughout this episode, this is the kind of stuff we like to get. So, uh, if you got anything, send it our way. And once again, uh, Turned Out a Punk Live, the very first live show is coming to uh, Sound on Sound in Texas, just as at Austin, Texas. It's going to be an amazing festival. Some great bands playing there. It's that first weekend in November. Once again, it is going to be a good time. And I promise I will have some good surprises worked out for the show by then. I'm working nice. on it now, Chris. Anyway, everyone, thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.